The Multifamily Master Podcast, where your host, Tomasz Fonseca, interviews industry experts and covers multifamily investing from A to Z. Multifamily can provide significant benefits to active and passive investors, but to take advantage of these benefits, you must have the foundational knowledge. That's why we at Real Estate Summit are here to put the know together with the how. Tune in every week to get a better understanding of all the elements surrounding multifamily investing. Brought to you by the Masters in Real Estate Marketing, Ardor SEO. Hello, guys. Welcome to another episode of the Multifamily Master Summit podcast. With me today, I have Jennifer Barner. She's the founder of Lighthouse Ventures, a private equity real estate investment firm. She's a proud mom, a real estate investment specialist with her genius in rehiving, wholesale lease options, and buy and hold rental properties. Hello, Jennifer. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. I'm very honored to be here today. Uh, the, the honor is all mine, Jennifer. Thank you for accepting the invite on the short, short notice and being there. I, I really like your office right there. Oh, thank you. COVID <laughs> forced us all to get new offices, right? <laughs> yeah. Is that one of the new offices that you, you are uh, rehabbing? Is that it? Uh, well, we could say that, but no, it's a Zoom background. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly, and a whole, a whole, a whole different type of rehabbing. That's right. Okay, Jennifer. So, why don't we start with your multifamily journey, and now, and how are you today in this very moment talking to me? Tell me your story. Oh well, thank you for that. That's a that's a great question. You know, most people have this profound. You know, they go to a coaching seminar, or um, they just happen to find themselves in multifamily, and it's a very easy process for me. Not so much. Um, I spent a year um, right out of the Rich Dad program, flipping and doing as many transactions as I could, like wholesaling, um, flipping homes, adding to our rental property, which was brand new to me. But we, we did 11 transactions that first year. And at the end of it, I thought, God, I can't, I can't get to where I want to go fast enough. So of course I think about the game Monopoly. How, what do we need to do to get bigger? I need to go into something bigger like multifamily. So I hired a coach in that space and he said, 90 days, you're gonna know how to buy a multifamily. And you know, his goal is to help everybody get a multifamily building in 90 days. And I'm like, <laughs> oh my gosh, this is so exciting. 90 days, that's it. So I read the book, I do all the steps necessary. And then I start looking in my background or excuse me, my backyard, trying to find as many deals as I can. I'm underwriting deal after deal after deal, but none of them are working. Well, fast forward a year and a half and I'm not making any money. I'm not flipping any properties. I'm not adding homes to our rental portfolio. And I'm just kind of thinking I'm a little insane to continue this, thinking it's going to work out for me. And, you know, they always say the definition of insanity is to continue to do the same thing over and over and expect different results. So I kind of put the foot on the brake and called my coach and said, listen, I haven't made a dime in a year and a half. For most people, they don't have that luxury. I had a husband that was working, but most people have to make an income. So what I do know is I know how to rehab homes. I know how to continue adding properties to my portfolio. That is easy. 
And he said, you know what? If the your market or your your backyard doesn't have the numbers that support a multifamily, you can either A, start looking elsewhere, or B, go back to what you know. So I naturally went back to what I knew. And over time, I started seeing other people have the same issue in their backyard. They couldn't make the numbers work. So they were physically going to other locations to buy apartment buildings. And I realized I have a market that's not too far from my own that is ideal for investing in. And it was a little bit longer of a drive than what I wanted, but you know, it was close to four hours. It's three and a half, four hours. Um, but I figured it, it shows all the signs of prosperity and gentrification and all the growth factors that you look for when you're investing. And I was kind of uh, kicking myself thinking, why didn't I do this three years ago? Because the reason I stumbled upon this town is because my sons were going to college there. And I was just seeing the mushroom of growth. And, you know, that's a key factor. But I just thought, oh, I'm not going to be there more than four years. My boys won't be. So it's not a town I'm going to keep going back to. So why would I invest there? But then I realized, well, if you buy something large enough, you put a property management company on it. And now you're using their expertise and their eyes for your benefit and for your investors benefit. So that's what I did. I reached out to an, a broker during COVID. He brings me one deal and the numbers work. Craziest thing. Fantastic. It was a long, long journey, but um, I now, I closed on that property back in December. That was 72 doors. I've got 130 units under contract. We close on that in August. So you know, it, it's now I feel like, okay, I got the momentum. I'm still rehabbing homes. I've got that process going. So, you, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm playing in different, you know, areas now or different swim lanes all at the same time. So it, that's the beauty of real estate is you can pivot very quickly. And that's, you have, you have yourself a, a very inspiring story, Jennifer. And, it, and it's, it's clear to see that you're not in the business since yesterday. Uh, it's been a lot of a lot of years uh, fighting for what you have right now, and it's it's truly really valuable. Like you could quit, you could have quit in those first months. You're not getting results. Guess what? You didn't, and now I guess you don't regret that that choice. <laughs> no, I, I'm very happy that I stuck with it. You know, it's the people that rise to the top. They also haven't built the foundation that you need to sustain that growth. So you just always want to be very careful that, you know, your growth is methodical and you're learning as you go and you're not just trying to get to the top very quickly. There's never any overnight success, right? And we need exactly. to all remind ourselves of that. Anything worth pursuing takes time. Exactly. And the, the, the expression uh, people use usually in this industry is financial freedom, but I guess there's no financial freedom without sustainable growth. So like there's something you, everyone has to consider. Right. And I really like the fact that you were, you actually uh, um, integrated yourself in the real estate industry uh, through a coaching program. And now yourself, you're, you're doing a coaching program, right? Yes. 
So the the the, the mentee became the, become the mentor. That's right, absolutely. And that's a piece of you know being able to give back to others. You know, that's a part of my heart is I really want other people to succeed. I don't want them to give up on themselves. It's very easy to listen to these podcasts and hear about the amazing things other people are doing or get emails seeing that, you know, this person's doing that and or watch social media. Right. And that person's doing this over here. And it's very easy to get discouraged and think, why not me? Why, why am I not having success? But the reality is, is if you stick with anything long enough, you're going to have success. You just can't give up on yourself. Don't give up on yourself, folks. Come on, <laughs> you can do it. <laughs> and, um, and I also really like about your story, are you stepped a bit out of your comfort zone, kind of literally, so you went four hours away of your zone and to invest in, in other areas. And uh, that's how I want to catch up with this, uh, investing in emerging market areas, which is one of your expertise as well, uh, one of your passion. Uh, and my question is, why? Why these areas? Well, um, I learned that through rehabbing homes. It's very easy to um, go into an area and see all the plight, right? That's in, in throughout neighbor, different neighborhoods. But you never really wanna be the first home on the block that's getting turned. That's a really risky proposition. Um, my experience has shown that you want to see other growth factors happening. And one of the things, you know, you just, um, the reason I like emerging markets is because that's where your greatest ROI is. That, that's the bottom line, is if you can go into an area that's starting to slowly turn, you can come in and do a burst strategy, which is you buy it, you rehab it, you rent it out, and then you refinance, you get all of your money back out of that property. And sometimes if you are lucky enough and you do your numbers right, the bank's even going to pay you extra money at the end of that transaction. So you're, you know, that it doesn't get any better than that. That's called infinite returns when the bank's you money, right? Yeah. So, Nobody says no to that. <laughs> yeah. So there I am now investing this year in markets I would have never, or neighborhoods. Let me just say neighborhoods and zip codes. Mm -hmm. I would have never, ever invested in, um, but I was starting to watch and I watch regularly, you know, the growth patterns and watching your different comps. And it's equally important in multifamily is to notice where the big box stores going. And if they're nowhere around your multifamily property, well, you're probably not going to attract the kind of tenant that's going to stick around for very long. People like to live where they have conveniences and where they feel safe. And so it's, it's just a critical factor that you look for, you know, emerging markets. And that's where your biggest bang is for your, yourself and for your investors on your returns. And that's where my question was on actually 
locating this market. So how do you identify the right emerging markets at the right time? Because you may find the right emerging market or but you can be too late, you know? So like, how do you find the right emerging, sorry, neighborhood at the right time? Well, if we're talking about single family homes, for me, I use a lot of um, getting on Zillow and mm -hmm. watching when houses come on the market, what are they selling for? What, what is the size of the home? And I look at the interior picture so I can quickly learn, okay, is, is this home already rehabbed or is it not? And, and you continue to watch a zip code. In the beginning, I got so caught up in the greater MSA of a city that I was, I was unable uh, to even move. I, I couldn't make a decision. And finally, I decided, okay, where do people want to live? Everybody loves to live by hospitals. They um, love to live by colleges. If you've got a greater MSA that has a college, like a dental school or a chiropractic school, um, a lot of people like to live by a church. I mean, so there's different things that draw people to, you know, areas. So I found that there's a particular hospital that has a nursing program. So I realized this is an area, this geographical area is where people want to rent. So that was just an easy decision. And then as I was watching different zip codes, you can see the lines just kind of move on Zillow as people are rehabbing homes. And that's what you wanna watch is Hey, there's a house that just came on in a, in a market that I would have never invested in. And it's over 200 or 300,000 now, whereas last year it was at a hundred. Okay. What's happening here? So you, you just need to be in it at least weekly. If you can be watching daily, you know, or three times a week, just get on for five, 10 minutes and watch a zip code you're going to very quickly see what's happening in that zip code and see how it's, you know, the ebbs and flows of that area. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally understand. But do you, do you do that yourself or do you have like an assistant uh, that does that for you? <laughs> no, no, I do that. So sometimes um, <laughs> before I go to bed, I'll be looking and I'll mark all the ones that I want to keep an eye on with a heart. Okay, nice. So yeah. inst instead of the... Uh, uh, instead of going on social media and wasting your time, you're actually dreaming about your next investment. <laughs> yes, yes. And I'm watching zip codes regularly. Um, you know, one of a, a huge boundary for a lot of um, greater MSAs is highways. A lot of times, you know, a class Ds will be on one side of the highway and class A, B and Cs will be on another and you you watch those highways and see, hey, is any has the you know it's starting to creep up on the and this is happening here in the market I live. I've been noticing that 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 gentrification line keeps getting closer and closer to the highway, and then all of a sudden during COVID, it's jumped. It's now jumped over the highway, and that's fascinating to watch because now all of a sudden, okay, now. I can start to look over in a whole new geographical area and it's, it's a little too early to say, okay, I'm over here now. I'm, I'm still going to continue to watch that little zip code or that area to see 
what what's happening? Is there enough change happening where it's safe enough? I won't go anywhere that I don't feel safe or anywhere where I wouldn't feel comfortable sending my own kids. That's just a hard rule that I use. If, if I've got a pack, I'm not I'm not going there. It's it's valid. It's valid. <laughs> yeah. Same thing with apartment buildings. I mean, our new apartment buildings in North Carolina. So one of the things I wanted to know is why should I, who lives in the Midwest, fly over to North Carolina? What is attracting people to North Carolina? So you get on different, um, you know, one of the things I go to is data.io dash USA, I think is the website. You know, I always fumble trying to find the website, but it's yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll put the website for, for our listeners. We'll put on the, on the description. <laughs> yeah. It's really easy to then see, oh, okay, this is what's happening in this particular town. Here's how many employers there are. Here's the median income. Here is um, the population. Those are, you know, here's the poverty level. You want to look at all those factors. And then you also want to say, okay, during COVID, 22% of the population moved. That's a huge percentage. So where did they all move to? Where, you know, where are those one-way U-Haul driving those trucks to? So you pull up U-Haul and you look at, or pin <laughs> and they keep track of all those, you know, factors in those cities. And you want to think, okay, if people are moving there, that's where you want to start finding apartment buildings or finding homes because it's going to just naturally drive the prices up. Exactly. Maybe, maybe your next your next um, friend needs to be <laughs> needs to be in that company so you can you can tell you beforehand where are they going. <laughs> that's right. Yes. Right. <laughs> And actually, I want to also to to touch on that. Um, Like a lot of people were uh, moving because of COVID, uh, and of course, there's an, another uh, other factors to consider. And sorry if this this question comes a bit out of hand. I don't. I think I think it's a good question because we're here to create value, right? And when it comes to uh, gentrifying areas, uh, obviously, it's a good development for the area, good for public safety. It offers jobs. Um, new homes, uh, new retail outlets, new businesses. It's an improvement in general on paper, right? But of course, there's some uh, cons, like I would say community cons, one need to consider, right? So like the families that have lived there all their life suddenly got their rent um, uh, rose just because, just because of the area. Uh, the newcomers, they may not integrate so well, uh, which can cause some community conflicts. And sometimes the history of the community kind of fades away a bit with the uh, gentrification. And what I, want to, what I want from you is basically as your perspective on this and how do you, of course, the positives must outweigh the negatives, but uh, how, do you, how do you deal with all this? Um, those are great observations. In fact, I know that Kansas City, which is my hometown, um, five years ago, they were looking at putting in um, a, a, a line system to help people get to and from work. And they were starting to go into these neighborhoods where there's a lot of plight 
and level the houses and build brand new homes. And I thought, oh my gosh, they are disturbing such an inner core of our city. What is going to happen to all these families that used to live down there? And the reality is, is um, the response I received was all those people are going to shift over to another zip code or two in the Kansas City area. And that's just, that's what happens is as areas turn over, people have to move. And it, it is unfortunate. Um, but by the same token, um, there's a lot of good things happening. And I would say overall, the good outweighs the bad. Yeah, exactly. It used to be where it was so unsafe to go down to our midtown area that you were scared if you were stopped at a parking, you know, a stop sign, or if you parked mm -hmm. outside a building long enough, you would come back and your, your wheels would be gone, you know, so, or you needed to pack a gun. I mean, that doesn't serve anyone. I don't care where you live. And so overall, all the gentrification that's been happening has been so well received. And now all of a sudden you see everybody wanting to go into the downtown area. I mean, there's so much money that has been poured in to making sure people feel safe, that there's lots of things for people to do, that the transportation is easy for everybody, no matter you know what your economic situation is, um, and that you want to go downtown. And yes, there's families that have been displaced, but I think overall, uh, there's more positive that comes out of that than negative. And I hope that the listeners would agree, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's, that's why this, this is a tough question. And I don't like to ignore the tough questions. That's why I bring them to the show. And I, I, I see your answer like as a very good answer. There's a lot of positives as well. Uh, there's more uh, job opportunities. Local business get highly promoted with uh, additional people with higher income. Uh, there's an additional equity to own value. If someone already owns home right there, the, the price can go double, or not overnight, but over a few months. And, and they didn't do even, they, they were just in their normal life. And, and now that their home is, is value double, you know, and even an increase in their credit score, for instance, because of the area they live. So, yeah, I agree with you, Jennifer. There's a lot of positives. Yeah, it's unfortunate because, you know, those families have been disturbed and have to uproot and move to other communities that they don't want to go to. Um, but I also believe that there's so many opportunities to improve your own life that for those that want a better life, they can have a better life. Mm -hmm. it's, it's approachable to anyone. And, and as long as you don't quit like Jennifer, like Jennifer did back in the day. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, so speaking of this uh, in markets, do you have, uh, you said you were gonna uh, sign a contract in, uh, in August. So I, I was, one of my questions was, do you have any emerging market uh, in the eye? Uh, actually, because uh, I don't know if, if uh, Charles spoke with you, but the previous guest was Charles Seaman. Oh, and, cool. I'm working yeah, with Exactly. That's, that's how, the, how small the world is. And actually, I asked him, one of my questions to him was, the, 
uh, I asked him uh, to talk about the last deal that he was involved in the underwriting. And he talked about you and I was like, Charles, that's, that's my next guest. <laughs> <laughs> so like we had, we had a laugh about this and we're having a laugh about now. So like the real estate world is indeed small. <laughs> it is small. Um, and I love that because you get to figure out really quickly, who do you align with? Exactly. And, and you, you don't want to let go of good people that come into your life. And I always believe that if, if you're a good person, good people are going to come into your life and they're perfect people to team up with. If they believe in the same, you know, have the same moral code that you do, that you guys can grow together and there's no reason. So I, I love, I just recently met Charles and he's a wonderful individual I'm excited to do more deals with him. Like, like you said, we're closing on that property here in less than 30 days, which is really fun. Um, Great. And so, if Charles, if you're listening here, you're welcome for, for, for all this uh, promotion <laughs> and right. all these compliments for Jennifer. <laughs> that's right. He's a great guy. Oh, great. So like going back to the question, so... Uh, can you speak, uh, can you talk about uh, your, uh, the next neighborhood that you're going to invest in? You know, that's a great question. Um, right now, I've been working on, you know, raising capital for wow. our current property that we're going to get, you know, we're closing on. The next market will probably be, um, you know, I really like the Carolinas areas. Uh, everybody loves Florida. That's a very... Um, migration rich area that people want to live in. Texas has always been an area that, you know, I guess what I'm saying is um, my doors aren't closed to anything unless it's North, North of Kansas city. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's good. <laughs> at, yeah, at least I, to set some boundaries so you can focus because if you're okay, I'm going to focus in the all us, like you're going to get lost. It's good that you focus in, in, in like, south of Kansas City. <laughs> yeah, this, you know, the Sun Belt, that's where everybody is moving mm -hmm. to predominantly. I'm not going to say the whole world's moving south. That's not that not the case at all. But a huge majority don't want to go back to work. And so here's an interesting stat that 37% of the population if told that they have to go back into their office, they will quit their job. What? 37%, 30% have said that they don't want to go back in the office, but 37% said if they're forced to, they'll, they'll look for a new job. So I think we haven't seen all the moves that are going to continue to happen. I think, you know, over the next two to three years, I think we're just at the cusp of seeing where everybody's going to move. And I think it's, uh, it's probably going to be five or 10 years before this all settles out and, you know, where we all settle into where do we all want to live? I mean, it's beautiful to think we can work, play and live anywhere we want. And that technology has given us that. And COVID just at the end of the day may have just gave us all a huge blessing to realize, you know, we're capable of living and working at home. Mm -hmm. and getting to choose, right? What a blessing that is to live where you want to live. 
That's totally true. But do you agree that that would also be true in real estate? Because real estate is a very interactive uh, field, right? So like working from home in real estate, okay, you can do your calls, your meetings, but when, when it comes to signing contracts and closing deals, it's better to do in person or, or what, what's, your, what's your opinion? I, I sign a lot of my, um, so I, I still rehab houses regularly. Mm -hmm. I've got three that I'm doing right now. And I only went in, I didn't go in in person and sign. I do a lot on DocuSign now. And then I go to my bank and I wire the funds and that's how I purchase my homes. Um, oh, <laughs> yeah. And then on the multifamily, you spend a good month, month and a half working with the lender and with the legal team to make sure they have all the paperwork you need. So you never even go to a particular place to sign documents. The, the, the money is wired and the transaction's done. So any, anymore, everything has been happening via, you know, live stream like you and I are doing right now or via, you know, behind your computer. So I think, um, I don't think you have to be there. Now, I do think your property manage management team is key to your success. And I would probably put them at the top of the list. Um, they can make or break your return. And if they're not on the same, they don't have the same trajectory and projections that you are anticipating for your property, you're going to be at constant, um, you know, combative state with your property management company. So it's really important, you know, before you take down a property that you're, you're having those dialogues to make sure that you're in agreement with the growth projections so that you don't have to live there. Right. And, and exactly. that's, the key. but I, I love how you said, you take the U.S. and you figure out, okay, where are the pins that you're going to put in the map, right? And then you focus on those. It's no different than me taking in, you know, a, a city and saying, okay, what zip codes do I want to concentrate on? And I might just have three zip codes. I'm just going to watch these three zip codes. That's it. Same thing with the U.S. I'm just going to look at, you know, three or four states and that's it. Anything else that comes across my desk? You just delete the email. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and you will still, so you're talking about the plans to um, Florida and Texas, but you're still going to be based in, in Kansas. Is that it? Temporarily. Until my, uh, until my boys graduate from college, um, uh, this is yeah. home. It's almost, almost there. Almost there. What, one year, two years? We got two years left. Oh, two years. I hope you're going to deal with that. Okay. <laughs> you know, uh, we've already discussed, we need to get a home um, in Florida or somewhere South for the winter months. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. And that's, that's <laughs> real estate allows us to do that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Will your kids join you on the, on the real estate business? Yes. So um, I have a daughter that house hacked right out of college. And so she lived in one side and had a renter on the other side. And then before her, um, before she got married, her boyfriend at the time 
he bought a duplex also around the corner from her and he did the same thing. So between the two of them, they have four doors and then they got married oh, and, nice. and they moved to Texas because their jobs took them to Texas. So they have four doors and yeah, they're, they're already sold on real estate, but they know that that's the, the path for them for, you know, creating that generational wealth. And then my um, other son, he is actually working for the property management company down in Arkansas that's uh, managing our, our property down there. And I think that's so, so cool that they gave him an opportunity to work for him or work for them. That's great. And I, and I can tell, and I think our listeners can tell, like, how proud are you of that? And that, that's very good in a mother. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, I think it's great um, for people to find a path that they feel called to or that they enjoy doing, you know, having a W-2 job. Um, I don't think you have to give up what your love is to um, have real estate properties. I think you can do it very easily on the side and build your portfolio in your spare time or find people to lock arms with and do it together in your spare time. It, it doesn't need to be where you have to quit your job to have success in this arena. And that that's the beautiful thing is my kid, you know, my, my daughter and my son-in-law, they absolutely love what they do and they never have any intent of quitting their jobs but they do see value in continuing to add to their portfolio. That's great. And I, and I guess you had a bit of a coaching in there as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Involved. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's great. But I guess that they got it for free. <laughs> that's right. They did. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Going, going back here, of course. But yeah, let's just close this. Like family is very important. And if you can have your family in business and uh, cohabit with them business related that's that's perfect uh, I would love to have that as well and I'm gonna do my best Jennifer <laughs> uh, now going back here to my line of questions if that's okay <laughs> um, I've heard you say that an exit strategy is always something uh, to be considered even before the initial investment so my question is, why is having an exit strategy important? Which is, I guess, an easy question, but I want to hear your perspective. And what is your usual exit strategy choice? That's a very hard line that I draw. Going into any home, going into, I look at, okay, who is going to buy this property from me? Because one day I will sell. You know, I'm not going to hold this property at forever. But if I'm um, backing up to a highway, I just took my buyer pool and I shrunk it way down because only a certain number of people would ever consider living next to a highway. So, you know, I don't, I don't live next to highways. I uh, don't live off of, I don't buy properties on main streets. I just, I have a hard, fast rule and my agent knows that. So she doesn't ever show anything that break those criteria. I also don't do things with sloped backyards. I've learned that people cannot see past a sloped backyard. So you have to do some get, you know, you have to take their eyes away from those things. But 
No, your exit strategy is critical. You need to know before you even buy that house, who would buy this house from you when you leave? And the other thing I always look at is the houses to my left, to my right, and then the backyard. Because anytime I'm selling the house, when somebody walks in, they always look at their neighbors. They always look at the backyard neighbors. They look at the debris in the yard. They look at the colors of the homes. And you have to think like they do. Would you want to buy this house? Um, and so all your exit strategy is more critical than the number you buy the house at. You might be, you know, get this house at $10,000, right? And rehab it. And it's the most beautiful house on the block. And you go to turn around and sell it. But nobody wants to buy it because you're next door to a, a house that caught on fire and it's been sitting like that for three years. I don't and it's care close, and, it, and it's close to a highway and a train station right. and, a, <laughs> and an airport. Right. So it doesn't matter how much money, how beautiful you make a home, your buyer pool just went like this and shrunk dramatically because of the X factors that you can't control. So those are even more important than what you have control over. So um, yeah, exit strategy is your everything. It, it's, it makes or break you. So you need to know. And, and that's why every single home I purchase, I run my numbers. So in the event that the market turns mid-cycle on me, and let's say I went into it thinking, I'm going to sell this home. And then all of a sudden the market turns. I need to always be at a 1% rule, meaning I can rent and I'm not going to, I'm going to be all in for 1% or less in this home for what, um, as compared to rent. So for example, to help your audience out, let's say I buy a house at $70,000. I put 30 to $40,000 into it. So I'm going to be sitting at 100,000 100, to 110,000 all in. Now, let's say I had projected to sell this house at 150,000 and the market turns. And now all of a sudden I can't. I, if I, I make sure before I go into that market and into that home that I could still rent that property at 1% of my all in costs, which means I need to be able to rent it for 1,000 to $1,100. That's 1% of my all-in costs. If I can do that, then I'm buying that house because I'm protected. I have two different exit strategies. I can either A, flip it. If the market holds, I'm still going to flip it or B, go ahead and uh, rent it out if the market turns. But then there's the third option and that's the Burr strategy, which is can I go in there, buy it, um, rehab it, rent it out, and then refinance out of it and still not have to come up with any money out of pocket? That, that's the perfect scenario, right? Yeah, so, so, so every property I look at now, I'm, I'm looking at it in three different ways. And if, and if I can achieve the burr, then I'm going to do that. If I can pull funds out from the bank, because then now all of a sudden I have money that I can go rehab a next house with. 
that's great to have all those options ready for you depending on our depending on the factor the external factors that you can control depending on the market uh, turnover even depending on the offer uh, you have uh, at that at that very moment and of course you don't want to talk about your accomplishments but i can talk about a bit here for our audience to understand so jennifer uh, she practiced this uh be a be how many hours is there is it three hours is that it brew strategy oh the burst strategy it's three hours right <laughs> yes three hours it's um you buy it and then you are for rent or excuse me ours for rehab it then you have to rent it out and then you refinance so that's the key yes and i guess that's okay that the other r that i was uh forgetting is the repeats so it's oh yes and fourth repeat yes yeah exactly so so jennifer using this strategy uh she had a portfolio with 11 doors valued at 1.12 million and i hope i'm correct and of course, this, this strategy is not to mess around. It's, it's a valid one and it works. And actually my question was uh, for you to uh, speak about more about this strategy, but you already explained it, but can you, can you put this strategy and how did you use it to, with these 11 doors? Yeah, so actually that particular portfolio, so we have, other, we have another por portfolio, so I'm glad you, you put a number behind it. That one I did with another business partner, and we had some fourplexes, a couple duplexes in there. And so at the end of it all, we were borrowing money from a hard money lender, or I don't want to call them a hard money lender. I'll just say a private lender. And um, it, it costs a lot of money to pay a private money or a private lender for their, the use of their money. But our strategy going in was, we're going to leverage his money. We'll have none of our own in it. We're going to pay his, his, him his interest payments. We're going to bring all those units up to the highest rent possible and rehab along the way on each unit. Then we're going to go to the bank and we're going to refinance out of that entire portfolio. And that's exactly what we did. We've had enough appreciation in the past year that the bank came in and valued each of our properties higher than what we even had in in them and so we were able to refinance out of you know our lender we paid him back we have no money in the deal so it's called infinite returns at this point and and so it, it's been a beautiful thing and every time we think hey we should sell these I'm kind of like, why would we sell this? We're getting infinite returns on our money, right? And right now it's such a, a hot market, it's very difficult to even find anything to buy. So we would be getting hit with a lot of capital gains and have nowhere to put it. So right now we're just holding tight on this. Holding tight. So now your exit strategy is more on the buy and hold instead of the fix and flip or, or flip. Right. Yeah. I I've got these other properties I'm doing right now. Um, by myself that I'm doing the burst strategy on and these areas have gentrified enough to where I feel, I feel like they're good rental markets now and they can attract a little higher quality tenants 
that can afford to be in these properties long term. Great with the infinite infinite returns. That's right. <laughs> That's right. That's and, and the Janet, what is your your role in the the whole process of uh, the birth strategy? Do you are you always present in the buying, uh, rehabbing, renting, refinancing? Are you present in all of the B's and R's <laughs> in the strategy? I, I am. I I do it start to finish. I will tell you, I have gotten a little bit um, too wide in everything I'm doing in ter in terms of I have limited bandscape bandwidth like everybody, and I've been trying to do these properties, rehab them, rent them, refinance them. And then I'm over here doing these multifamily properties and try to, you know, keep up with that. And then I've got my own rental portfolio, you know, so I'm, I'm a property manager also. So I have concluded over the last week and a half that I've got to give up some of this in order to continue to grow. So one of the things I'm in the process of doing is turning over some houses in my single family portfolio to a property manager. So that that's one less thing for me to worry about. Now with that, I have to give up some profits, but when you do the math and realize, okay, if, if my time is worth $250 an hour and I can save myself from taking multiple calls throughout the month, what could I be doing instead? So the value's there. Now it's just a matter of letting them go. And so that's what I'm working through right now. And it's um, one of the edicts of this method can also be the, the, I wouldn't say the waiting period, but the time that takes from, even from buying to the first rent, uh, it can take months, right? So like, are, do, you, are you, do you stay focused uh, in all the process uh, to make it sure it's quick as possible or as you said like you started to divert uh, divert your attention to other projects while the method is ongoing right yeah I will say that um, typically I could do a house start to finish in six weeks six top, weeks top to bottom so I would buy it and on day one I mean once I know what day I'm closing on I have a dumpster at the house the next day, insurance is on it, utilities are on. Um, I've already got my windows are already measured for. I've already got my general contractor. He's already walked the entire property. We've already come up with a plan for the house. So he's demoing on day one. By you know, six weeks, we're done with the house. I'm getting, you know, I've advertised usually a couple weeks earlier than completely done. So I can start walking people through it so that they can start to see, hey, this is going to be beautiful. It's almost done. We're just putting the finishing touches on. So by week six, I usually have it leased up. And now it's just a matter. I've already started working with the bank to get the appraiser in there. Um, if you're doing everything right and staying on the on it, you can have that process done in, I'd say two and a half months. And I'd like to say you could do it even shorter, but the key piece that takes a little bit of time is you got to get the renter to sign the lease. And then you've got to get that piece of paper to the bank. They will not even look at that um, until you've got a lease on it. 
So I've started the process on these two houses I'm doing right now. Um, the only thing the bank's waiting for at this point is my lease agreements to get signed. And I'm waiting for my general contractor. My general contractor, the greatest guy, I mean, but he's taken on too many homes. So now all of a sudden, six weeks is, I'm at eight and 10 weeks now on these two homes. And now it's starting to get a little cost prohibitive. Now it's costing me money. Um, so that's something you have to keep in mind. I don't ever buy a house without thinking through what happens if my general contractor falls ill or stops showing up? What, what is the, what is my exit? I mean, do I have a backup plan? I'm always thinking about worst case scenario. And in fact, there was a house that I was so, supposed to close on today and my other two homes are not ready. And I'm not ready to buy this next house. I try to not, I try to keep my money as long as I can. And if I can bump out another purchase another week, I'll do it. And so um, the other agent said, hey, we don't want, I mean, we want to close like we agreed upon. And I said, listen, I don't have the funds right now. I mean, if you can wait a week, then I'll close and I'm good for it. But you, you just, you know, so there's got to be a little bit of give and take. Some, some agents will just say, well, fine, we're going to keep your earnest money. And I was okay with that on this deal because the house is a big enough remodel that I don't need the headaches anyway. Um, it was going to be a top to bottom, completely rip out drywall, everything. And so if he was going to push it, I was going to say, fine, keep my $500 earnest money. It's not worth the stress anyway. Yeah, <laughs> because, exactly. because my general contractor's backed up. If my general contractor wasn't backed up, then I'd be like, oh my gosh, we're closing. I'm, I'm going to get this thing done. But anyway, I always look at worst case scenario. I, I think it's, it's very, very important that you have lots of different exit strategies. And you, you plan for the worst. And your hold time might be four, six months, worst case scenario. That happened. Exactly. Yeah. It's a, the importance of uh, contingency plans, they're, they're not supposed to uh, be made uh, when, when there's a problem. They're supposed to be already there before the problem. So whenever it comes like if a, a property manager goes ill, if there's COVID, if anything happens, you always have your contingency plan. It's, and it's good to know that you have yours well lined up. <laughs> yeah, it's important. It, it saves you. Lots of sleepless nights. <laughs> Contingency nights. <laughs> right, right. Okay, Jennifer, we're just uh, almost in the, in the end of this uh, great episode. And I'm asking the very normal question. I guess you were asked this in all podcasts. So I'm sorry if I have to ask again, but if there's one piece of, adv of advice you could impart to our audience, uh, what would it be? I would say never stop learning and never give up on yourself. Nothing is too hard that you can't overcome it. You just have to lock arms with the right people and, and keep listening and putting good things in your mind because it will come. 
And yeah. don't quit. <laughs> don't quit. It doesn't matter what your age is. I mean, everybody says get started when you're young. Even if you're older, get started. Just get started and then don't give up. Thank you. And I hope our, our listeners are, are, are listening as well. And uh, I'll, I'll try to take your advice into my, into my personal life as well, in my business life. And I hope our listeners do that as well. <laughs> and, this, uh, and this question uh, is also meant to inspire all of us and even maybe inspire you. And it's a question people don't want to be asked, but let's, let's see uh, how you respond to this. So I'm asking you in what, in, in, uh, what areas do you feel you need to improve? And uh, what are you doing about that? Oh, I need to get better at um, letting go control. I like to be able to control all factors of my business and know exactly how everything is operating. And I need to place a little more trust in those around me and know that they're quite capable. And I just... Uh, it's mother hen in me. I, I've always been the mother hen of my kids and had to manage everything. So letting go and having trust is is something I'm working on right now. And the the, the advice from before can also be uh, adjusted to you in this moment. That's uh, right. That you can also do that. You can also make that happen. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Just have to keep trying. Keep trying. <laughs> You'll do it. I believe right. you, Jennifer. So how can uh, our audience uh, reach you? Uh, they can reach out to me. I have a website, um, lighthouse-ventures, and that's plural, dot com. Or they can send me an email, jennifer at lighthouse-ventures.com. Love to hear from them. Great. I'll put, I'll put your details on the description. Uh, I'll, I'll add all, all the important components to the description as well. Uh, I'll let you know, Jennifer, when this episode goes live. Thank you for coming to the, to the Multifamily Master Summit podcast. It was a pleasure. Oh, it's my pleasure too. Thank you so much. You do such a wonderful job and um, I look forward to watching you grow. Thank you, Jennifer. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll send you emails every day about my growth. <laughs> That's perfect. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Jennifer. And bye, guys, and see you on the next episode, okay? Have a great day, everybody.